You're listening to B2B Nation, a podcast from Technology Advice designed to help marketers navigate the modern B2B buyer's journey. Here's your host, Mike Pastor. When you think about customer advocacy and customer marketing programs, you probably think about references and case studies. But references and case studies have been around for years, and this is B2B marketing, where once you get comfortable with the way things are done, something comes along to change them. Actually, if you're doing advocacy correctly or um, in a more modern way, if you're leveraging customer voice, uh, the, the role of a reference um, has, min- has been minimized. And so what we're trying to do, and, and I know a lot of my uh, peers out at other companies, is really trying to raise the role of customer voice uh, in and throughout their, their work, right? Going beyond just these templatized stories of, you know, problems, solution results, and really capturing sound bites and snippets from, from their uh, best customers and their best advocates uh, and building that in, into all of their content, then not just for prospects and, and, and those visiting the website, but also for other customers. We, we have to remember that other customers, each customer is on their own learning curve and they're at a different place and they can learn so much more from each other than they can from whatever we spit out from a marketing perspective. That's Michael Schiano from Airship, and I'm Mike Pastor from Technology Advice. In this episode of B2B Nation, these two Michaels are going to talk about customer advocacy and customer marketing. If your efforts in this area need to evolve to better incorporate the voice of the customer, we're going to talk you through what that looks like. Michael Schiano, welcome to B2B Nation. Why don't you take a minute and tell us who you are and what you do? Well, hi, Mike. Uh, great to be on the show today with you. Thank you very much. I am a senior customer marketing manager with Airship. Uh, Airship is the leading provider of mobile app experience and mobile app messaging. Uh, we actually started over a decade ago and pushed out the first commercial push notification uh, when apps first got started. And today we have um, evolved into the leading mobile app experience provider. And so my team just really runs a number of programs and builds content for our customers. Let's talk a little bit about the role of customer engagement and advocacy as it applies to this ever-expanding world of B2B SaaS vendors. And what is the importance that this work plays like throughout any company in this space? Well, fortunately... A, a customer marketing, customer advocacy has has really taken off. I'd say in the last year or two, really, it's it's been growing with additional importance each year, but really has just taken off recently. And I and I think it's long overdue. Right? Um, we have in the SaaS world this just this this sprint to get to return uh, our recurring revenue. And hit certain milestones, you know, the first million in revenue, the 10 million, 100 million. And all of that is built on the backbone of your customer base. But for so long, uh, the, the startups and, and, and those companies in early life cycle stages are just so focused on growth. Um, it's almost like a second thought to think about customers. And that has really changed over the last few years where we're investing more on the customer side. And, and there's a, like three main categories, three main areas that I think about when it comes to customer marketing. You have your your traditional customer marketing, right? How do you communicate? How do you get your current customers to engage in a community as well as with your account teams and and your other teams? 
There's the world of customer advocacy, which is directly related to your, your marketing efforts, but it goes beyond references and customer stories, but really the building this, this community of advocates. Um, and then I, that last area would be community, which we've seen take off as well over the last several years. Uh, how do you build a community within your customer base amongst your users, but also your influencers for your brand and for your for your tool or your service that you're providing. So that really kind of is the large umbrella that I think about when that falls under customer marketing. Let's talk about the traditional definition or assumptions about customer advocacy. I think we all kind of hear the, it's easier to make money off of your existing customers than find new customers, right? It's easier and more efficient to upsell your existing customers than to find new customers. You just kind of mentioned this sort of a paradox, though, because the new logo race Mm -hmm. is the focus of a lot of our attention in sales and marketing, isn't it? It really is. And it, it starts to come full circle. So some, some of the myths, right, is you know, that customer advocacy is, is just your references. I, I need a reference. I have an RFP. I have a, a lead. I have somebody who wants to talk to our best customer. And that has been, that's been since the forever, for decades of, I, you know, advocacy equals references. And I would, I would say that if, if, if actually, if you're doing advocacy correctly or um, in a more modern way, if you're leveraging customer voice, uh, the the role of reference um, has min- has been minimized, and so what we're trying to do, and and I know a lot of my uh, peers out at other companies is really trying to raise the role of customer voice in and throughout their their work, right? Going beyond just these templatized stories of you know a problem, solution, results, and really capturing sound bites and snippets from from their uh, best customers and their best advocates, uh, and building that in, into all of their content, then not just for prospects and f- and and those visiting the website, but also for other customers. We we have to remember that other customers, each customer is on their own learning curve, and they're at a different place, and they can learn so much more from each other than they can from whatever we spit out from a marketing perspective. So that's one big myth, is that advocacy is just references. Um, and I think the other one is that advocacy is only beneficial to the company, right? So as you said, yeah, we it's definitely um, easier. We see a lot of growth and a lot of our revenue goals are tied to our customer base. And I've seen that across different companies that I've worked for. But it's it's really a two-way street. The reason why somebody wants to be an advocate or just ends up advocating for your service is because they're seeing true value out of it. They're really getting something out of it. And their team is really happy that they're working with you and, and their bosses and their bosses are really happy. And so it's, it's a two-way street. And we want to share that story, of course, and say, look, we're really helping this, this brand do well, but they want to raise their own brand and their own reputation and their own work and get the accolades that they're looking for. Uh, they want to kind of extend their own personal reputation in their work and their network, as well as the brand and, and get the brand to be known to be doing really quality work, no matter what, if it's airship and mobile messaging or some other provider. So I, I really, I try in my program and I've built a couple of advocacy programs. I've really tried to 
focus in on the give part versus the take part of advocacy. And then it just really, the results are just so much better when you're partnering with folks who who are true advocates because they see the value and they want to help others get there. So you can work with your existing customers, make them look great, make them show off their great ideas, their great products, the things they're doing, and benefit airship in the process. And then you put that out in the market for other existing customers, for prospects. Mm -hmm. What does engagement look like with those assets and, and that message? Oh, that's a great question. I take a, a really wide view of and definition of engagement. You know, some companies um, have I've worked at large software companies, I've worked at smaller ones, and we're always trying to get some sort of score, right? We want to score a customer engagement score, and and we call it different things at different places. Um, but basically, how much are they interacting with you? And we can talk and debate about what should factor into that score. But to me, at the end of the day. I, we, we know that we want to be top of mind. We want them to be interacting with us, um, if not daily, on a weekly basis, whether that's through our content or through our programming or through their account team or their customer success team. We want to build a long-lasting partnership where they come to us and want to come to us for answers and for partnerships. So I try to look at it from a couple of different angles of what can we put out there that that will entice them to keep coming back to us? And I also try to enable the internal teams, right? My customer success managers to know kind of what's coming. What, what is the content that we're working on? What's the programming we're working on? What are the topics that we're hearing about? Because I want you to be able to go and, and bring these up on your, on your calls, on your recurring calls with your customers. I want everyone to be aligned on what the topics are. So you know, it, it goes beyond attending events and webinars. It goes beyond, did you read the latest ebook? It's, I really want to drive uh, true engagement with their account teams, the, the folks who know them best at our company. What do you think is the secret sauce to customer adoption? <laughs> yeah, you know, so this, this, uh, this is one of my favorite areas to talk about because my own personal career path has been pretty unique. And so I have a background in education and adult learning. And I started out way back when uh, in my career as a high school teacher. And I've leveraged my knowledge and, and sort of expertise in education throughout all of my roles as a way to really accelerate results. And when we think about marketing, right, we have the two prongs of marketing. You, you have your new business, your lead gen, demand gen marketing, to me, that's that's all psychology, right? Sales and, and marketing and all of the conversations we have over there, it's all psychology. How, how can I write the perfect cold email to get you to reply to me or book a meeting or pick up the phone and talk to me? What are the stages of the sales life, life cycle that makes sense from a psychology point of view? To me, the, on the customer side, it's all about education. I already, I already have you in. Right? You're already sold on the value of our product or our service. So my job is to educate you. And adults learn in a very unique way. And a very, it's not only a unique way, but it's a very prescribed way. And so I have been lucky to kind of use my knowledge of how people learn to build really successful programs and content that accelerates their own learning on, on our software. So, and again, that's both... Um, 
you know, through leveraging resources that uh, our different training teams have built, you know, whether it's, again, whether it's here at Airship or other companies putting together events in a certain way that really kind of accelerates their own learning and really gets them to, to dig into the details. And then building, again, this, this community around learning and sharing. With a lot of software these days, it, just scratching the surface isn't enough. A lot of the, the software, especially marketing, is so complex and, and a bit more complicated that it's not just an easy how to read. You know, it, I can't just send you a doc or a link to a doc and, and say, just read through it, you'll get it. Um, a lot of it has to do with ongoing learning and, and demonstration and application. And so, so yeah, I want to help people, I want to help set people up to go through those learning stages. Uh, so that they come out on on you know with some applicable knowledge. There is you know you talk about learning how to use software and, and not being able to just send a doc. For years, it was said you know Microsoft Office suite people used what ten percent mm-hmm. or less of the features right. So you can't just you, know, you can you can invest in software and you could do the basic features and the basic functions with it, right? But then when you look at like who are the power users, who are the people who are deriving the most value? Those are the people who really dig in and know the nooks and crannies and transferring that knowledge to the people who are like, okay, I bought it and the person who I replaced trained me and I can navigate around. That's that's a that's a learning, like you said. That is just learning. It really, it really is. Um, I love that you said that. That is the, uh, if I had to categorize every email, the thousands of emails I've gotten over the last 12, 13, 14 years, the, uh, the phrase, we're only using 10% of insert name of company, uh, by far wins. In fact, um, uh, I, I spent about almost six years with Adobe and uh, before coming to Airship. And I actually created a series there called Don't Be a 10%er uh, to kind of play off of that, <laughs> that common <laughs> request of uh, we're only using 10% of, of Adobe campaign. And it's true because customers come in and they have their initial use case or their one or two use cases that they want to do. And it takes a little while to get them going, uh, depending on the product. And then and then that 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 was their only expectation, right? So what more can I do? What more should I be doing? That is that learning curve that that we're talking about. And man, it's it's it can be hard because adults learn in very small snippets. They only want to learn what they need to know in the moment. However, we have this strong desire um, to to really know everything about a certain product. <laughs> <laughs> and so there's these competing forces where we don't want too much, right? Like every new employee at uh, who joins a company, right? It's learning through fire hose. How many of us can relate to that? Oh my gosh, the first three weeks, four weeks on a job, it's just I've I've learned so much that I'm going to forget 80% of it until I what? Until I need to know it later, you know. But but when we are new, we want to know everything at the same time. So. So cutting through that and, and kind of helping, helping adults know that you're, you're using a piece of software to, to, uh, to fulfill a job requirement, it's going to take time to uncover all of the, the tips and the tricks and the best practices. We're all sort of, what's the term, 
flying the plane while we build it. Ooh, right? Absolutely. So I replaced my, you know, this system with that system. I don't have time to go to boot camp because those emails still need to go out or that data still needs to be analyzed. You can't just start from scratch. Like I'm going to start a company next week. So I'm going to learn this <laughs> software, right? So that it's ready to go. None of us are in that situation. No, so. I, I, I use the analogy of my, um, of the, the camera on your phone a lot, right? So there's th- that camera can do so much. I'm sure I'm not a power user of my phone camera. I just sort of point it at my kids and take pictures of the silly things that they do. But I know I'm aware that it can do a whole lot more. And of course, I've seen the commercials of people producing entire movies from their phone. But I only learn a new feature of that that phone camera when I need to, right? And so when I take a trip or I, if I'm lucky enough to head to the mountains and I want to take that panoramic picture, okay, I, hey, I have a moment to figure this out. How can I do that? And it doesn't seem it doesn't seem hard, right? We see other people doing it, but that. That person, that individual has to go through the steps of learning how to do that, no matter how easy or hard it is. Yeah, the, the other issue when you talk about teaching people how to use software tools is you look at some of the tech stacks, some of the marketing stacks that are out there, and you talk about people only using 10%, like how much redundancy is there? How many people are out there investing in tools? And it's like, you know, you already have a license for a tool that probably could have done that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hundred percent. That's where that's where the leadership team needs to be on the ball about what tools you're investing in and what tools you have and what are the ninety percent of features you may not be using. Right. Your your good account managers, your good customer success managers will take the time to to understand what that stack looks like and what are the complementary tools that your that your end users using and. And that's a great route to expanding your own relationship with them and get them to kind of get rid of one or two pieces of software and, and use it in yours. And, and then you're helping that, that team and that company save money as well, right? And, and become more efficient. Um, so that there's a huge opportunity around that, especially with just the, the explosion of tools that <laughs> just in the last five, six, seven years, it's just so many, um, so many offerings in every aspect, every corner of the MarTech world. We talked about creating customer advocacy in all sorts of different formats, and we kind of touched on uh, the old traditional way of doing this, the PDF case study that you download. And it's like, I think you said it was sort of templatized, sort of formulaic. A lot of them are kind of tired. Almost all of them are way too long, uh, way too long. for anyone's attention. But, so what for you, what replaces that? What is like the new customer advocacy in a format, somebody who says, you know, I need, I have a client, I have a prospect. I need to send them something with a good message. What would it be? You could, yeah. if you could pick one. A video, right? Video. It, it blows my mind how long it's taken us to uh, apply what we do in our personal lives to our, to, to the work world. And you see other people doing it, you know, and then, and then you see a couple of outliers, but what <laughs> I like to do, what are the kids like today, right? They like to, to scroll through a feed and they like short videos. And so the long story, you're right. The 500 word story, the 250 word story is, is just out. I know a lot of times, and people have shared with me the, 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 the research or the metrics of no CMOs 
love these kinds of stories. They want to know what their peers are doing. And I, I always question that because my, my CMO doesn't really have time to read a long article, let alone something I'm writing uh, that's too long. But, but what they will watch is a one-minute video. And you know, even a lot of companies who have the investment or have the ability to invest in these longer, really highly uh, produced videos, the videos are now too long, right? They're you know four or five, six, seven minutes long. So what I've started doing, and I actually started this in my previous role at, at, at Adobe was, especially during the pandemic, everyone's stuck at home. People are more comfortable just talking through their story and their use cases. And if you think about that process of getting that story published, if from, from my perspective, that I'm the person who's got to go source the story, work with the customer, get the story, write the story, edit the story, get approval, get their approval, run it through legal, run it through their legal. It's a massive, slow process. So I might start a story today with you, and it might not get published for four, five, six months versus... Hey, Mike, would you be willing just to turn your video on? We're going to just record our conversation and I can create one minute snippets from your answers there. And I'm going to chop them up based on the questions or the topics we talk about. And somebody can then maybe go watch six different one minute videos based on your answers. And they can either learn some strategy from you or why you like our particular tool because it helps you do X, Y, Z. And, and that is where I've seen a, a huge shift because we can take those snippets, we can use them in the, um, in the sales process, in the prospecting process, we can use them with other customers, uh, just a lot of different ways to use those small snippets. And, and of course, the, the publication cycle is, is a lot faster. Long-winded answer, but it, it's just it's something that's been on my mind for about a year now is, you know, why are we not seeing more of these short snippet videos? Yeah, it's. I mean, it, I think in general, it's become a lot harder, regardless of the format, to yeah. get people's time and attention. And you mentioned the legal hurdles that has killed many a customer advocacy and case study, <laughs> <Absolutely>. <laughs> right in its tracks. Right, all yeah. of us who are in content creation know that. Yes, for sure. All right, what is your favorite tool? We now okay. So we always tell people don't use your phone, but we just talked about your phone and how you use ten percent of it. We talked about video and how easy that is to create with a phone, but we're gonna we're still gonna keep our usual rule. What is the favorite tool, the thing you can't work without? And unless you're gonna cite an app, specific app, no using your phone. Okay. This was a this is a hard one. I would say I I am married to my calendar app. Uh, I think most of us are. I just sort of do what it tells me to do <laughs> hour to hour and where to be. Um, but I do a lot of, you know, just in, in, in marketing and customer marketing, we have a lot of projects and um, you've got to be able to handle a lot of different projects and a lot of different deadlines and timelines. And um, so I actually use Microsoft OneNote for all of my different uh, sort of project management and just my running to-do list. I, I have pretty much abandon my my paper journals and my notepads and everything. And um, I really like OneNote because you can have all sorts of different tabs across the top. And so each project has its own tab. And anytime I get on a, on a call or, or kind of working on it, all of my notes go in one place. And it's this sort of this infinity scroll 
on uh, on OneNote. So so I like to have everything in one place, and that way I'm not worried about losing a journal or wh- where did that piece of paper go. All right, and and so so what percentage of the features in OneNote in your calendar do you have? Oh gosh, <laughs> I'm, I'm probably a ten percenter. <laughs> Um, I did. I did discover the other day. I, d- I discovered a new way of uh, of adding a checkbox. So I, I have kind of a running list. I I really love to check things off, even if I've already done it. I'm. Oh, that's why we all keep our to do lists on paper. Yeah, hundred percent. Right? It's the the feeling of taking the pen and putting the line through the words. Hundred percent. I mean, what what better feeling is there? So. Same. When I first started tracking projects in Salesforce, I thought when you when you hit the complete button and the confetti falls from the top <laughs> of the screen, I thought that was the corniest thing. And then <laughs> I went through like a really busy month and I was like, there's a little, you get a little push from that after a while. It like, does. It does. Somebody's, somebody's celebrating this. Yeah. <laughs> they do that. Um, uh, where did I see it? Uh, uh, in, a, in a, we use Asana internally so we we do a lot of project management there and and so i i I get to actually cross things off i'm weird i keep two lists right i keep the one that everyone can see and then i keep my own and and uh, asana has 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 introduced their version of the confetti so it's it's pretty nice michael shiano thanks for joining us on b2b nation oh mike well thank you for having me it was a lot of fun and uh i look forward to listening to other other uh, conversations you have Thanks again to Michael Shiano for joining us on B2B Nation. Thanks also to the Technology Advice Crew, Amy Dunn, KJ Pace, and Caroline Wishar. You can subscribe to B2B Nation on Apple, Google, Spotify, or SoundCloud, wherever you find your podcasts. Thanks to Mnemonics in the Guild for composing our theme song. We'll see you next time on B2B Nation. 